Hello, you're listening to the podcast of Bay Ridge Christian Church. Each Sunday, our aim is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ from the text of the Bible and to catalyze the hearts of our hearers to love and gratitude towards God and all of His creation. We hope you enjoy this teaching, and we pray that you will be encouraged to trust in Jesus today. Such a privilege uh, and a responsibility, excuse me, to deliver the Word of God this morning, because if there is no other time in this gathering, when we're singing, when we're hearing um, prayers from uh, the people gathered here, anything else that happens, if there's no other time that we hear from God clearly and authoritatively, it is when His Word is being read aloud. And so, uh, as we continue, uh, it actually dovetails nicely, I think, with where Brett has been the last couple of weeks about being in community. Uh, We go through Romans uh, chapter 12. Um, I want to just reinforce that this is God's word continuing, unbroken, uh, spoken to his people. Uh, This morning, we will be reading out of Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. Uh, And this passage is really about how each one of us has been blessed to be a blessing to others. That's one of the mottos we have here in this fellowship, is that we're blessed to be a blessing. Not only outside the walls to our community, but especially to what's called the household of faith those who are the people of God. We are each blessed to be a blessing to other people. And so we're going to see that here uh, this morning. Uh, So if you have your Bibles, uh, if you don't, it'll be up on the screens here, but if you have your Bibles, either uh, a good old-fashioned hard copy or on your devices, go ahead and set those to Romans chapter 12, verses 3 and 8. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version, uh, so if you have a little bit of a different version of the wording, different, that's why. Um, But, Now, people of God, hear the words of your gracious, loving King. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. May God bless the reading of his word this morning and always. So virtually every time somebody, usually Brett, one of the elders, uh, or a guest speaker comes up here and teaches from the word of God, we get a certain amount of time 
that is reading the word, expositing the word, preaching the word, and then we always come to something at the end, right? What do we call that here? Applying the word, right? I've been in churches before where it was simply the whole thing would come through and then it was just, so what? Right? What does this have to do with me? How am I supposed to apply this to my life? Well, we will have an applying the word and a so what here in a little while, but Paul is doing some of that heavy lifting for us already. Because this passage from Romans chapter 12 to chapter 16, the ending of the book, is the so what to Romans chapters 1 through 11. All subsequent passages from 12 to 16 are to be viewed in the light of what Paul has said in 1 through 11. And if you move 12.3 on to the end of the book, everything should be read through the prism of Romans 12, 1 through 2. This is very common in Paul's literature. It happens uh, all over the place. For instance, in his letter to the Ephesians, chapters 4 through 6 are in light of what he explained in chapters 1 through 3. And more specifically, 522 to 69, you know that part where you know, all the guys get in trouble because it starts with wives submit to their husbands, right? All of that uh, is read to be read in light of 521. Submit yourself to one another in Christ. This is 12338, which we're going to be reading through this morning, is uh, the first in many unpackings or practical applications of Romans 12, 1 through 2, which reads, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So that is the thesis statement in light of everything Paul has written before, and then he's going to tell the Romans, and by extension, all of those who would read the epistle to the Romans throughout the ages, what that looks like. What that looks like in Romans 12, 3 through 8, is uh, a, a three-point statement, I believe. Uh, and it can be summarized like this. It is the responsibility of each individual member of the body of Christ to exercise the faith and grace given them by God with sound judgment, in meaningful community with the people of God, and for the benefit of the body. Again, with sound judgment, in meaningful community, for the benefit of the body. We'll start with this idea that each member of the body is expected to exercise sound judgment rather than overestimating oneself. This comes from verse 3, which says simply, For by the grace given me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, in case anybody's wondering, this is a commandment given by Paul, given by the Lord through Paul, if you will. 
issued by the authority that God has given him to be an apostle to the Romans. He says this in the first few words. For by the grace given me. Now, the word in Greek there is karatos, um, which is a broad term for grace, which we appropriately render as a gift. This is a gift that God has given to Paul. Typically, as Christians, when we start thinking about grace, though, where do we end up? What, what, what are we typically thinking about? Salvation, right? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Absolutely true. Absolutely grace. Absolutely a gift of God. Paul even says that. However, grace is not limited to the saving gift of God. That absolutely is the greatest grace and the necessary grace that God gives us before anything else. But grace is also at its core every gift of God. Everything we receive from God is by his grace. It is a gift of grace. Paul goes on after saying that this is the gift given me and I am speaking by this gift to you, which he's going to ex- explain later and we'll get to a little bit later this morning. After he says this, he then turns and says, I say to everyone among you, we might say all y'all, right? Every one of you, all of you. It's a broad statement. Our English Bibles have some variation of all of you or each one of you or everyone among you or anything like that. But when you go back and you read it, Paul is saying each and every single one of you. Which means if I had time this morning, I could say Jim, Beth, Dalton, Ann, Tom, Robin, Margo, Tom, Priscilla, Nelson, Abnell. I could, I could go on and on and on, and I could name everybody, right? We don't have time, and nobody wants to do that. If you want to do that, read Chronicles, right? <laughs> the point is that this commandment that Paul is about to give is given to every single person who reads this letter or hears the reading of this letter without exception and without exemption. It is every single one of you this applies to. Pay attention, right? Everybody needs to listen to this. And the command is, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Be sober-minded. Think with your judgment. The literal wording is, don't think of yourself higher than is necessary. But think in order to be sensible. Now some including Calvin, who I respect dearly, but don't know that he was right on this one, says that this is simply an overconfident wisdom. I know a lot, and so I'm going to be confident, and I'm going to go through all these types of things. However, if we read later, and we're going to read later, there's an onus that's put on every single person that reads this letter or hears the reading of this letter to consider others. And if you are simply overconfident in your wisdom, there's no responsibility for you to consider others in that passage. And so I don't think that that's what this is talking about. The thrust of the passage is to use sound judgment. And what happens is, people who think about themselves a lot, 
and are preoccupied with themselves or have an overinflated view of themselves tend to act and think in a way that does not reflect sensibility and it does not reflect consideration of others. And so Paul is really getting to this and he says this in other passages where he says, esteem one another better than yourselves or lay yourself down for the benefit of the other person. That is a common theme in Paul's writings that he is saying, literally, get over yourself. Think about other people. This sober-mindedness, though, it's not something that comes naturally to everybody, right? I tend to think about myself a lot. You can ask Anne, don't answer that. But I do tend to think about myself a lot. And if we're honest with ourselves, each and every one of us, I'm not going to go through and name everybody, but if we're honest with ourselves, each and every one of us, we think about ourselves a lot. We are probably the person that we think about most every single day. And so, we need this gifting from God, this help from God to be able to think about other people. It even says, think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith given by God. Whoa, 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 wait a second, David, back up. Did you say measures of faith? Like there's different measures of faith? Yeah, that's what I said. That's what I said. This is not talking about saving faith. We'll be clear about that. I think we understand that in this room, but just in case there's somebody who does not understand that in this room, not talking about saving faith here. Not in the slightest. There are, in scriptures, different measures of faith that God has given to different people in their respective faith journeys. Paul's going to go in two more chapters in Romans 14. He's going to talk all about strong brother, weak brother. One can do this and have a clean conscience. One cannot. It's given to God over here. It's, give, it's not yet given by God over here. It may be one day or that may be something that they just wrestle with the rest of their lives. We don't know. Similarly, there are specific things that have been given by God to people that other people just cannot receive or cannot understand or it's not for them. One of the most evident passages of this is Matthew chapter 19. Now here, the Pharisees are talking to Jesus about divorce and trying to trap him because that's what the Pharisees did. And Jesus, as was one of his many talents, was to wriggle out of whatever trap the Pharisees were trying to lay for him with the perfect answer. He threaded the needle every single time. And so what he does is he talks about, basically, divorce was never supposed to be the, op the original option, right? However, because of the hardness of heart, Moses granted this. However, I say to you, and then he goes through and talks about um, divorce and adultery and everything, and the disciples have this interesting answer. And they say to him, if, the, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better to not marry. And Jesus turns around and says, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been made from, so from birth, and some who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. But he says, let the one who is able to receive this statement, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry, let the one who is able to receive this, receive this. There are people who we would say are married to Jesus, right? Not in the literal sense, but they have, by whatever gifting of God, have, have received singleness as a gift and have decided to pursue that. 
That's not for everybody. I know I couldn't do that, right? Certainly, certainly not something that God had gifted to me, but God does gift this and the ability to live this gift out to certain people in a different measure of faith than is given to other people. Again, if you want to read Romans 14, you can read it later. It's the whole chapter. I'm not going to read it or belabor the point, but that is a secondary passage which deals with different degrees of faith. And this fits perfectly with the context of this passage because God is giving different gifts in varying degrees to all of his people. All people truly in the faith are truly in the faith. But not all have the same degree of faith yet. Right? Some people can drink with a clean conscience. Others, if they darken the door of a bar or look at a bottle, it's a problem. Right? Some people could eat, in the time of the Romans, food sacrificed to idols with a clean conscience. No problem. Some people, that was a huge stumbling block for them. Some people have the gift of singleness. Some people don't. Some people are single and don't want to be. Right? I don't know which way they're supposed to go. I can't really answer that. That's between you and God if that's you. But there's different degrees of understanding there. Some people are able to grasp these really deep truths of the faith. And if you wrestle through your faith at any point in time, you get to some things through there where you're like, whoa, wait a second. I don't understand this. Right? This seems like it's an issue for me. Some people uh, are able, are there, and some people are not yet there. Uh, and they don't understand those things. This is not a less than or greater than scenario that we're talking about. There is no uh, hierarchy or anything like that. Uh, this is simply where people are at on their respective faith journeys. Each person's faith journey is individual to them, between them and God, even though we live it in community. The idea uh, is that this uh, faith, this statement here, the measure of faith that God has given us, is that it's a tool kind of to measure where we're at, um, with the expectation that it grows deeper over time. It will. There are things that I did not understand about the faith five years ago, 10 years ago, 22 years ago when I gave my life to the Lord, anything like that. There were things that I did not understand that, that I understand and appreciate on a deeper level now. That's just the nature of growing in faith. Not only that, but this is a comfort, this measure of faith. Uh, it's comfort that we get this measure of faith from, from God. It's a gift from God that's been given to us. Number one, it should prevent us from despair because God has given us this measure of faith as a gift. But number two, it should prevent us from pride because we're not there yet. Both of those things are true. So, thinking in sober judgment towards one another and thinking less of ourselves or of ourselves less, take your pick, leads into Paul's second idea here, which is that each member of the body of Christ is expected to live in meaningful community with the people of God in a way that is both evident and essential. The thrust of this entire um, passage is to become others-focused. And not just broadly, generally others-focused. I think we all agree that that's generally a good thing. But we are others-focused uh, for a specific purpose. And this specific purpose is evident in a metaphor that Paul draws out for the Romans of a body. Now, he extrapolates this metaphor that he's used in other 
passages and other books, the body of Christ, uh, he's applying it similarly here, but he's using just the metaphor of a body. Each part of the body has a different function. Right? I'm going to pick on my 13-year-old over here. He's a goalkeeper. And so if you're going to do what you're supposed to do, Dalton, and knock the ball out of the net, your brain has to process what's going on. Your eyes have to see it. Your entire body has to tense up. Your legs have to give yourself the, the push off. Your knees are bending. Your muscles are exploding. Your hand is reaching. All of those things have to work together to get to the ball to keep it out of the goal. Right? If one of those things doesn't do what it's supposed to do, he's picking the ball out of the net. And his teammates are probably yelling at him. Teenagers, right? But that's the idea here. The, the whole function, everything is working together for a specific purpose, and it's all different things. There's more to it than this right now, though. Paul is saying, for, as in, for being a conjunction there, uh, or a transition, it is, in light of what I just said, which is being sober-minded, and thinking not more of yourself than you need to think. This is what that's for. It's for this reason. This is the why of sober-mindedness, right? That when, when you go into school and everything like that, people, people say now, you know, find your why, or they need to know the why, or anything like that. Right here, Paul's giving them the why. Why do we need to be sober-minded? Because, as in one body, we have many members. Not all of them have the same function there are different things at play. The exhortation here is to consider themselves and to consider others within the framework of that measure of faith and the gift and function which he's going to uh, unpack here shortly. In the same way, he says, members of the body of Christ have a function toward the same end. Just as a body has many parts functioning together, believers also function together as the body of Christ. And we're not all mouths or ears or feet or hands. We have different functions. And each one of them is necessary. In case people didn't understand earlier when Paul said each and every one of you, right, and we go through the laundry list of pointing out every single person in, in the congregation this morning uh, and those online who, uh, each and every one, he individualizes this even, even further. He says, we, many, are one body in Christ. Not only that, we individually, each and every one of us, right, everybody here, we are individually members of one another, Oh, that's interesting. How does this work? It works because of the one in whom our union is constituted, and that is whom? In Christ, right? And because our union is in Christ, it is forever, it is indissoluble, we are inextricably linked now and forever through the finished work of Christ. It cannot, that bond 
cannot be broken and have an effective body any more than cutting off my leg you know, gives me, I can still have a fully effective body. That's not going to work, right? I think we all agree with that. So this union is in Christ, but each believer, individually, each and every one, all y'all, all of us, right? We are responsible to evaluate and exercise our own function within the body. We each have a function here. Okay? Some of us think we know what that is. Some of us know what that is. Some of us aren't really sure yet, and some of us don't have any idea. Right? Some of us may think we don't have a function here. Respectfully, rethink that, please. You're wrong. If I can say that authoritatively from up here. Every believer has a function. Even the appendix in the body has a function. Right? We joke about the appendix and the spleen and the things that we can survive without, but they still have a function. Everybody's got a function. There are no passenger Christians. There are no consumer Christians that just come and say, what's this going to do for me? What's God going to give me? What's all this thing? I didn't get anything out of the sermon, anything, or I didn't get anything out of church day, anything like that. Well, you know, here, you are here to worship God and to be individually a member of one another and contribute to the body. If you haven't done those things, maybe that's why you feel like you didn't get anything out of it. Again, that may be, that may be a hard saying, but there are no passenger Christians. Well, you can see a lot of churches around the country that people go and consume and it's the great thing for them and, and all that type of stuff. That's, that's not how the body of Christ is supposed to operate. Everybody contributes. Everybody has a part to play. From the Sunday school teachers to the people rolling out the communion tray to the 11-year-old running OBS up there with adult supervision. And everybody in between. There is always a part to play, no matter how great, no matter how small. Everybody has a part. Similarly to that, there are no passenger Christians. There are no Lone Ranger Christians either. The writer of Hebrews has some to say about that, forsaking the assembly, right? Christians cannot function in uh, isolation. Christians function, thrive, live, contribute, live their best life to uh, when they are in community with other believers contributing to the whole that is the body of Christ. You cannot be a Lone Ranger Christian any more than I can tie a tourniquet around my foot and expect my, ex, you know, around my ankle and expect my foot to survive. It's unrealistic. That's not how it happens. So Paul goes on and says that there are functions here, and as we move into the third point, we're going to see that these functions are most evident. They're not exclusively evident, but they are most evident in the gifts that are given by God. Even though the individual Christian's function, uh, Christian is responsible for his or her own function, uh, that, is n that Christian's function is not for his or her own benefit. 
Some, of, some people here happen to be very gifted at getting up in front of people and speaking. They're, they're not doing it to hear themselves talk or even to get adulation afterwards. Although it is very nice, I will admit, that's not the purpose. The purpose is to preach the word of God to God's people. It is not for the Christian's own benefit, whatever gift they have. And in that mind, the third point here, every member of the body of Christ is expected to exercise the gifts he or she has been given by God for the benefit of the body. This here, this next section that we're going to have, um, 6, 7, and 8, is a roadmap for how to exercise the gifts God has given. It's not a how-to in the sense of um, a manual for exercising the gifts. So, oh, if you have the gift of teaching, do X, Y, and Z. No, it's a how-to for the mind behind exercising these gifts. As one commentary by Cranfield, you can look him up, who that is later, he's way smarter about this stuff than I am. Uh, he, he describes this as the unselfconscious, business-like, sober way in which Christians who do measure themselves, uh, which God has given them in their faith, will give themselves to the fulfillment of the tasks apportioned to them. So basically, this is saying, this is how you should conduct yourself with these gifts. Not what, but how. These gifts first are giving according to the grace that God has given. They are different. The ESV really draws that out. Some translations don't, um, but the Greek is clear that these are different gifts. Different people receive different gifts. And they are according to the grace that God has given. These gifts are called the charismata in, um, in Greek. And they are from the grace, charis, which God has given to us. It's nothing that's in ourselves. Every believer has a gift from God that they should be exercising. It is a gift from God. A gift to give to other people. Believers should exercise these gifts for the benefit of one another. Some have prophecy uh, according to the standard of faith. A uh, couple things here. This is not referring to the office of prophet that closed with John the Baptist. Uh, this is not referring to what some might call a word of knowledge. This is referring to somebody authoritatively speaking the words of God for the hearers. And because... That needs to be, uh, it, it is that way. It must be done within the standard of the faith once held for all the saints. Okay. This is going to say in proportion to the faith. That is an atypical rendering of Greek there. Um, so I disagree with the ESV here. But um, that happens sometimes. Um, this, is a, this is intimating a subjective nature to the, pers to the person exercising this gift. However, I think we all agree that there are problems with that. Uh, if you have the subjectivity of a prophecy and a faith, uh, you have issues with both of those types of things. Because if a prophet can be subjective, then are they right or wrong? Well, that's just your opinion. I'm pretty sure Deuteronomy has a lot to say about that. Right? Similarly, um, faith is not also subjective. Uh, there are different degrees of faith that we talked about earlier that's given by God, but it's all rooted in the objective faith once held for all the saints. 
If you want to go into the grammar of all this, there are definite articles both on measure and faith, which, in, which indicates that it is an, a definite objective measure and a definite objective faith. Beyond that, there are going to be two triplets that come here. So you have service, teaching, and exhortation, and then you're going to have uh, contributions, leadership, and acts of mercy. Uh, these things are linked together, and so we'll go through them very quickly uh, in the interest of time here. Um, I think you guys will, will get the point here. So uh, some have the gift of service to others. Uh, this is where we get diakonos or deacons from, uh, from this word service. Uh, it's a catch-all in Greek for service. Uh, it ranges from the service of the word to waiting on tables to pretty much everything in between. The specific context here refers to general service like we see here on a weekly basis. The people who come and prepare communion, the people who prep the, the AV and the sound booth, the, the breakfast and coffee ministry, the greeters, the folks who set everything else out, the people who come up and share uh, both the word and share about the um, missionaries that we're focusing on and we're working with, the people who come up and pray and give announcements, uh, all types of things fall under this uh, um, umbrella of service. And the point here is, if your gift is service, serve with gusto. Be happy about it. Be energetic and enthusiastic about it. That is the gift that's been given to you. Similarly, some have the gift of teaching other people. And if one is gifted as a teacher, they should benefit that for, uh, for others. Teachers are not exempt from other types of service. However, uh, teaching, in line with Acts chapter 6, if we're given to the word of God and to prayer, that should be the primary focus. A quick example I can give you is uh, before we moved out here about five and a half years ago, one of the things that our family did is we traveled around to churches in the area in Idaho in which we lived, and we would basically be worship supply for them. Some places their worship leader just needed a, a week off because they, they didn't have anybody else, and they're just like, I need a break. And so we would say, okay, we'll come in. No problem. We'll give them, we'll give them a rest. Uh, some places that we went, one in particular, uh, was uh, this tiny uh, church four hours from anything in a town called Chalice, Idaho. And we went up there, and unbeknownst to us, the pastor was also the worship leader at this church. And that, that's common in smaller churches, and specifically in the, the types of churches that we were in, it's also a common thing. However, we, he needed a break because he was preaching on a particularly important passage and he needed to give that all of his focus and we went up there and the people who went in there uh walked up and and thanked us for coming up not because we had done it and we had come a long way to do that or anything like that but they were basically like that's the best sermon he's ever given because he didn't have all of those competing things that are that are also important don't get me wrong it's all important but it's different focuses, different gifts for different sets of people. Some have the gift of service, some have the gift of teaching, some have the gift of encouraging others. This isn't necessarily exhortation from the pulpit, although that certainly uh, is also encouragement. But this is the gift of just encouragement. This is like if Barnabas comes up alongside somebody and is just encouraging somebody, right? Especially if you're going through something difficult. And let me tell you, the Romans would have been going through something difficult, right? They were engaged uh, in persecution. So this gift, especially in the early church, would have been sorely needed because you need uh, comfort 
and encouragement during persecution and encouragement during general difficulty and affliction. Not only that, but it's a specific exhortation. It's calling them to a specific set of action. Martin Luther wrote, the, the teacher transmits knowledge and the exhorter stimulates. So one of the questions that we have in the discussion guide after all this stuff is, who can I encourage this week, right? That's the idea. Who can I exhort to some type of action? Lastly, uh, believers should exhibit the hallmark traits of their grace gift. There's one more set here uh, that we'll go through quickly. Um, but we should exhibit the, the telltale things of this gift. When we're giving, we need to do so sincerely. This giving refers to somebody who has a giving spirit. There are people who it's difficult to give of time uh, or money or talent or anything like that. And for some people, they give entirely too much of their time, talent, and money away, right? We all know those folks. Um, whether, we, whether we do that by our own means or whether we're in um, a church, like a formal church thing or something like that, the idea here is give freely, give sincerely, Give without any idea of getting anything in return and check any other motives you have at the door. This is giving purely out of a desire to give. When leading, leaders must do so eagerly. Some people consider that, that leaders here they're talking about is, the, is uh, church officers. Uh, some people consider this a more broader term. It seems that the broader term fits better um, with this because the specific giftings are the focus and not titles. So if we have uh, the gift of leadership here, then the idea is exercise this gift eagerly and diligently and check your ambition at the door. When showing mercy, the one who does that uh, should do so cheerfully. Now, clearly, we should all show mercy. The Bible's pretty clear on that, forgiving one another just as God and Christ forgave you. This is speaking to uh, those people uh, for whom being merciful is far, far more natural. It's a gift of God. We know those people too, right? That they can just kind of, oh, yeah, whatever, water off a duck's back. That's not me. I tend to hold on to things a lot longer than I should. Uh, that's not all of us because that's natural. That's the natural man, right? That our natural is to kind of think about all the things that have gone against us or the injustices that we see and everything like that. But being merciful is a gift of God. That ability to just extol mercy without really even thinking about it. But regardless, when you show mercy, it should be a cheerful act. It's not a grim duty. Oh gosh, I guess I have to forgive this guy. Right? We don't want to do that. Right, It is not something that's terrible because God gave us the greatest gift in forgiveness through Christ. And if God gave us to that, what right do we have to not extend that mercy to anybody else? So if you have these gifts up here, any one of them, and you know what they are, exercise them with all that you are. If you don't know what they are yet, we're going to get to applying the word and wrap up here. But uh, start pondering that because this is important. 
We are all members individually of one another. Everybody has a part to play. If you belong to Bay Ridge Christian Church, whether you're a member or you're a long-time attendee, a believer in the Lord Jesus, you have a part to play here. You have a function. We've got to find out what that is because somebody here is not benefiting from people who uh, may not have nailed down exactly what the gift is. To maximize the benefit for the body, everybody needs to be involved in this community. So, as we apply this word today to our lives, just a couple questions. One for each one. In what ways am I sober-minded in my thinking? Not thinking too highly of myself, thinking of others. But also, in what ways do I think too much or too often about myself? This is a common, common thing. And we all, starting with me, need to ask ourselves this question. Secondly, am I functioning properly within this body? Again, if I belong to Bay Ridge Christian Church, if this is my church home, if I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus, whether I'm a member or not is almost immaterial. If I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus and this is the place that that I am gathering weekly, Am I functioning properly within this body? In what ways am I tempted to be a passenger or a Lone Ranger Christian? They come for everybody. Only you know what that temptation looks like. But it comes for everybody. And third, what gifts has God given me to benefit this body of believers? Am I currently exercising those gifts? If not, how can I start? And if I don't know what they are, have I asked God to show them to me? Sometimes that's all it takes. Or maybe an exhorter needs to come to somebody and have a word, right? And stir them into action. So as we come to the table, I want us to uh, think about these things and ponder these questions because this is significantly important to the Christian life. The most essential thing has already been taken care of. Christ came to save sinners of whom I am foremost. Paul's words, I'll apply them to myself. But beyond that, to live as Christ commands his followers to live, what did he say? They will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. And love is an action. It is a choice followed by an action. How do we demonstrate love for our fellow believers? By living in community with them, for better or for worse. And exercising the gifts that we had uh, that we've been given by God. So uh, as we, uh, if you want to pull uh, your communion packets out, if you haven't got one, they're uh, in the back there as well. Uh, I encourage you to begin thinking about these things. How do we all fit? We all fit here somewhere. Sometimes you're the lone puzzle piece. You're just trying to figure out which one you connect to. And that's okay. But the idea is that we get you connected or that you get connected where 
God has for you to operate within this body of believers. As we come to this table, uh, you do not, I know I've talked about membership, yes, no, this is one of the things that you don't need to be a member here at Bay Ridge to participate in communion. You do need to uh, believe in the Lord Jesus and trust him uh, for your salvation from sins as the only way and the only option. So if that is you, then I invite you uh, to come to this table of blessing from God. For what I've received from the Lord, I now pass on to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And after he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured out that your sins might be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. If you'd prepare the bread, we'll take a moment to reflect on these gifts that we, may, that we have been given. Father, we thank you that you gave us the gift of your Son, the ultimate grace, the only necessary grace that we might be saved and reconciled to you once not a people, now and forever the people of God. We thank you that you went even further and that you've given each one of us gifts as you've demonstrated here in Romans 12 and Ephesians 4 and other places. That you have given each one of your people a gift that they might use to benefit others. Just like you sent your son for a specific purpose for the benefit of your people. Lord, as we prepare this bread, we ask that you would help us to uh, remember the gift that you've given us, the community that you have invited us into by your grace through the work of the Son, that we might benefit from that and be a benefit to each other. Brothers and sisters, the body of Christ broken for you. Take and eat. Lord Jesus, your gift was the greatest of all. You came to make a way back to the Father. And while you were here, you showed us what it meant to live in community as your followers. And Lord, just like your disciples, we don't always get it. I know oftentimes I squander the gifts that you've given me. But because you gave of yourself to the uttermost, you died that we might be reconciled. We have this grace in which we stand. This grace in which you've gifted us things 
that we might be beneficiaries one to another, but also ambassadors to the people outside these walls, people who are not or are not yet the people of God. And so we ask, Lord, that you meet us here at this table, that you forgive us again, and that you encourage us anew to live the way befitting of a believer. Brothers and sisters, the blood of Christ shed for you. Take and drink. Stand with me if you would. Spirit of God, we ask that you would pour yourself afresh upon us. We thank you that you have sealed us as an inheritance, that you have rebirthed us anew. And by the gifts that are given to us from God, we pray that you would help us to exercise those, to live in a way that is in community with our brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God. That we would think with sober judgment and that we would exercise these gifts with a zeal, an energy, a diligence, and a sincerity fitting for a citizen of the kingdom of God. We ask this for your glory and in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I leave you with this from Galatians 6. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those who are of the household of faith. Brothers and sisters, citizens of the kingdom of God, you are blessed beyond measure to be a blessing to other people. Go in peace. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.